Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Okay, so if you are listening to this from outside of Ireland, you may not yet know this brand, but don't let that stop you listening. Because if you're thinking about building the kind of food business that creates its own category, is still winning in that category nearly 20 years later, manages to sell itself to a massive US investor that is such a match that both founders continue to stay on in the business for years to come, and finally has recently become a challenger brand in the UK, where it's tracking to become the number three chilled soup brand after only three years in the market. Well, then you have to listen to this episode where we talk to Colin Allen, co-founder of Ireland's original insurgent food brand, Cully & Sully. Launched in 2004, Cully & Sully's soups, broths and pies are still the market leader in Ireland, but they're now also racing up the ladder as the UK's soup challenger brand and now available in over 5,000 UK stores. In this interview, you're going to learn what an obsession with product really means, the common mistakes that Cullen has seen prove fatal for so many scaling food brands over the past 20 years, And finally, what it's like to love going to bed with your investor every day. Colin, Alan, welcome to the very first video podcast episode of Brand Growth Heroes. You're so welcome. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from East Cork, which is in the south coast of Ireland. And um, I'm in my little home office here, which was actually the head office for an awful long time. And it was our head office right up until we sold the business in 2012, where four of us, that was all that was in the business then, now that we're a bit bigger than that, um, where we met Mr. Erwin uh, Simon from New York, who bought our business. So well, right in here. I'm really excited for you to explain all of this to our listeners today. So for those of, the, of our listeners around the world, and three quarters of them aren't Irish, can you tell us about Cully and Sully? Because one of the things I just want to jump in with is, Cully and Sully really is the original Irish food challenger brand, isn't it? And you're now not only a challenger, were you a challenger branch that has scaled in Ireland, you're now a challenger brand in the UK. And that's a really exciting business story. So take us back to the beginning and tell us, you know, how you got to where you got to today, which is, I think your soup business is 20 million in, in retail sales, isn't it? It's between million wholesale sales, actually. So, so okay. yeah. So I don't know what it is. What are you going to add another bit onto that for that? So no, it's 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 been extraordinary. It's been more than we've ever imagined. And you're dead right for an Irish brand. And I suppose the one thing you have to really understand as a, as an English person, um, particularly, but anywhere in the world, is how small Ireland is. Ireland is four and a half million people, maybe a bit more if you include the north, whatever. And uh, England is somewhere between ten and fifteen times that size. So a lot of Irish brands, either can risk their whole their whole business to go into the UK and we can get back that that later. Yeah. Um, or else they just can't make it happen. It's just too big a jump. But um yeah, I'm uh, in rainy Ireland in the the country of soup and tea and potato crisps. <laughs> and biscuits. That's that's a, and now cutting and sully soup and maybe a bit of Ballymun country relish as well, where was where I'm from um originally. So uh, yeah that's that's kind of where we're from. And Myself and Sol, Sol is also from the, Sully is also from our local village, our local town, really Middleton. And in, when we were 27, so about 2004, we got together, 2003, I suppose, to get the business together. And we, I suppose we had a good skill set. He was actually working for Musgraves, who owns Supervalue, and they're really one of Ireland's three main supermarkets. Yeah. Um, basically, have Duns and Tesco and Supervalue, that's it, in this country, and then small stores, very good small stores. And I uh, had studied fine art, 
and I come from the world-renowned uh, Ballymilieu House and Ballymilieu Cookery School. So that's kind of, that's in my blood. Food flows through my blood. Now, it's really and, worth uh, just saying there for any of our <laughs> listeners around the world, if you don't know what Ballymilieu House and Ballymilieu Cookery School is, you've got to get on the internet right now and type in www. .ballymilieu.com or .ballymilieu.ie no .ballymilieu.com brings you to actually all the businesses and .ballymilieu.ie brings you to the hotel specifically Okay so, because um, if you're if we're ever allowed to travel again you want to go and stay in Ballymilieu and if you want to do a how long are the cookery courses the live-in like cookery 12 courses 12 week is the main certificate course yeah, 12 yeah, week yeah. It's, it's like yeah. people from all over the world from Japan and China and America come over to do this don't they at every age, from the age of 16 to the age of 80. And your whole family is really famous in terms of cooking, aren't they? I mean, let's just talk about that for about two minutes because it's part of okay, the story, well, really. It's all, it's, it's actually a gorgeous story. Fiona, thank you very much for the plug there, by the way. Just, just, <laughs> it was so blatant, I better mention no, it. No, it's not a plug. And I genuinely more... want everybody around the world to go there because it's such a stunning, amazing part of the world. It's such a stunning, uh, amazing setup. More... And it's so historic, you know, in terms of Ireland's food culture, what you guys as a family what... have done. And what's more is it's all done by in-law women. They're the ones who have made it famous, which is so fantastic. So it's not even the blood side, it's the non-blood side. Wow. So yeah, my grandmother, who married my grandfather, obviously, and became a Myrtle Allen, started a hotel in 1964, or a, sorry, a restaurant, with a little ad in the Cork Examiner, which was our local paper at the time. And it was like, come and dine in an Irish country house. So she'd ended up with this huge, big, beautiful mansion which she was sharing with another family, actually. And her husband, Ivan, my grandfather, was a, was a farmer. And he had all this amazing produce. And they, she's like, why can't I open up like a, a restaurant in Ireland selling fantastic food to, to, to like Irish food? And actually the big story there is she actually went to Paris. And I've only kind of really begun to appreciate this and opened up La Ferme Hollandaise in Paris. I'm not sure what year it is, but I think it was mid 70s. And sold Irish food to Parisians because she was wow. that proud of Irish food and she was she was a, she was the most extraordinary woman in the world and she died a few years ago but her daughter-in-law then Dorina went on to start the cookery school and that's world class and also you can do a tour around there it's an organic farm and it's uh, a cookery school where they have their own cows they make butter they make cream they have a whole string of cookbooks by three generations well not three generations sorry it's well there is three generations my grandmother had cookbooks then Dorina who ran the cookery school and then Dorina's daughter-in-law Rachel Allen who you English listeners might know from Saturday Kitchen. I actually don't know her from Saturday Kitchen because I never watch Saturday Kitchen. We do. We watch Saturday Kitchen every single Saturday <laughs> in our house and we know her very well. So Rachel Allen, I'm sure you do. And in the States, Rachel Allen and Doreen Allen would be known in the States as well, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. No, all over the world. And Rory O'Connell then, who's Doreen's youngest brother of 11 or nine, nine children it is, is also um, uh, a brilliant chef and also has cookbooks out. So yeah, that's kind of us. And then we have Valley Country Relish and we have... Everyone in the business, everyone in the family, a lot of us are involved in food and restaurants and catering and so, so, Sully and Sully and the rest. <laughs> so that's where you came from. So, so you and Sully knew each yeah. other and very quickly tell us about the start of the business. So we got together in 2003, four, and we tried to come up with an idea. And actually the idea we came up with, ironically, was um, pies. And when I say pies, I don't mean pastry pies, that, not that English style. We're talking potato top pies, so shepherd's pie, fish pie. And then we had another few meals as well, which weren't pies, actually. And we got the mate. We ended up we went we spent a whole year researching a really interesting thing to do, actually, and researching the business and the starting up. And I could talk for hours about it. But just to say that we ended up going from wanting to open a factory in our own backyard here in Ballymaloo to uh, and selling it to the retailers to actually getting them manufactured using retort, which is sous vide 
um, system of cooking in France and importing them over, which oh, was God. an absolute nightmare, but really good company making really good products and um, you know, really good ingredients and all the rest of it. My grandmother on her walking stick walked around their um, factory and like they had Michelin star chefs in the, re- in the kitchen developing the wow. recipes and stuff like that. So they didn't understand Irish food. They tasted the shepherd's pie and their, their face just melted. They were like, what is this you're giving us? <laughs> now the fish pie was excellent from day one. So it was really funny. It was a great moment actually, all of us sitting there. And yeah. I think Rory O'Connell was over with us that day. And they were just like, you know, we just don't know what we're making. But that was brilliant, too, because then they couldn't interfere with it. Okay. Because they just didn't know what was important. It's a bit like the subtleties of language. So that anyway, so they weren't like slipping any burgundy wine into the recipe going, the, the Irish will never notice, but it will taste much better. <laughs> no, no, they couldn't because they just didn't understand it, which actually was a big learning curve afterwards. Because if you do know a recipe, you know what you can get away with in a way. Okay. And um, but actually, you know, I would have trusted them. That makes them shows them in a bad light. Fury Michana was actually, and they're a brilliant company, and I'd I'd sing their praises all day long. And I suppose the, so. That all happened for a year or two, and that was quite successful. You know, we got to about a million turnover. And I always think for anybody listening out there, that's the magic number to get to to kind of get the business to be sustainable in the retail world. Obviously, I'm talking about. So and, where were you selling? Um, where were you selling to get to a million? Because I mean, that's pretty amazing. After a year, you're we selling at, in a million in turnover. Wow. Um, we were selling in all the Irish retailers. It was, it was, it was like, you, and you have to, I mean, you have to get into, in Ireland, you have to get into every retailer. And I suppose as a brand in Ireland, you know, you really have to get into every Irish retailer because you just don't get the sales from, I mean, that's only 300 grand, 330, what to be precise, in three different retailers. It's not, you know what I mean? It's very little sales really in the grand scale of things in three retailers. Sure. Um, Super Quinn, of course, the famous oh, supermarket chain existed. Don't we all back miss then. Super Quinn. <laughs> Very close to your heart. Uh, Black Rock Girl, is that what you are? I'm Dun- a Black Rock Girl. Black Rock. I, I miss yeah, Super yeah. Quinn. I miss Super Quinn. Yeah, I miss Super Quinn, Black Rock, particularly. I mean, we sold the same amount. And again, interesting starting your business. We sold probably the same amount in Super Quinn, Black Rock, which for everyone out there, it was Ireland's sort of poshest supermarket in um, 2004. as in a week, probably, as we did in the rest of Ireland. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> we had a full drop. We had a drop. We had seven shelves or six shelves, whatever it was, of just our pies. Okay, we so let's, let's talk about that. So 2004 and Super Queen Blackrock and other retailers in Ireland feel that it's necessary for them to give you a huge amount of space. What wasn't being catered for? What consumer need or shopper need was not being catered for that you came in and catered for? Yeah, try not to be technical about it. We were eighteen euros seventy per kilo for our original pies, which were five fifty for three hundred grams. Now they were fantastic. A little, they came in a little ceramic dish. Yeah. So you actually got your meal in a ceramic dish. So it just felt super premium right from the very beginning. It was the savoury goo, wasn't it? And you, you black rock girls, just were dying for something premium. <laughs> <laughs> No, and 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 exactly, and it was it was kind of the only prepared meal out there which felt Butler's Pantry, I suppose, was out there, but that was different. I know that was for really posh people, and we wouldn't have been able to. That was even posher, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. We needed supermarket posh, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's a difference because you go to the supermarket every week. You don't go to Butler's Pantry every week. You know, you go there. Yeah. This is like, you know, you know, I often talk about goo because it was my, one of my first, it was my yeah. first startup experience, but goo brought restaurant quality desserts to the chiller and you brought restaurant quality food to everyday life. 
at home through yeah, the supermarket. When would, you, when would you have said goo? Because I would have said goo were about 2007, 6, 7 or something. No, like that. 4, 2003, working? 4. Okay. In oh, the UK. In the UK or in yeah, Ireland? In the yeah, UK. Yeah, see, because they came to Ireland a few years later and they, yeah. again, flew in Superquin, but didn't never could sell in Supervalue exactly. or Tesco's, you know, the odd store. Which maybe, you but, did. Um, so, so, so what happens? You're not in pies anymore, are you? Well, we absolutely, we are. Yeah. No, oh, we do sorry. Turn it. We do. We, uh, now we still do our pies, um, but they're kind of slightly lost because in two thousand and six we brought out a range of of soups. Okay. And there's a magic to our soups. These are our little soups here. Um, this is our tomato soup, and this is our chicken. So these are our two best sellers. We now, for anyone that, listening, like, anyone listening on iTunes or Spotify, we've, there's a video that's going up on YouTube of this interview. Cully, will you describe the the pack to us? Because this was you were the first. Were you the first in? Ireland and the UK to have this pack and even France or, or what? Talk to us we, about the pack. We were the first people probably in the world to use an ice cream tub to put our soup into. <laughs> okay, so it basically looks like an oval bowl, doesn't it? it yeah, it's an ice cream tub. You know, so, like, oh, it you is buy, an ice like, cream tub. Yeah, or maybe you might even get sort of like, I don't like this word margarine, but anyway, right. you might even get margarine and that's sort of a shaped tub. I mean, okay. margarine is just against my, um, against butter comes in, in um, doesn't come in tubs, basically, is, okay. is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, so this was, and actually it's given us a lot of grief and hassle because of the, the so, yeah, it's 400 grams of soup we serve. Which now that's is not also grams, which a magic number. Let's talk about that because we often talk about value propositions um, with scaling businesses and startups and getting this right. How do the physical properties, the choices you make about the physical properties of your product, how do they reflect um, how you're going to answer the consumer need? So talk to us about 400 grams versus what was out there already. So we felt that most people who had 600 grams of soup ate it, left a bit at the bottom, then came back two days later and threw it down the sink and never <laughs> ate it. So, <laughs> so and, that, and you know, you, I suppose, I think the world had changed in fairness. Do you know what I mean? I think probably when those 600 grams were originally launched, people did. And also the tub looks quite big, actually. So it does look generous. It, it's a very yeah. generous looking 400 grams and it's much more premium. But actually we were the same price as a 600 gram soup. We are the same price as a 600 gram soup. Obviously okay. soup varies, but in the general but people didn't notice, nor did they care. They just wanted soup for themselves and they wanted it to be delicious. So I think there was a lot of stuff that happened that was kind of slightly magic. I, I mean, our, our tub, I think, is really beautiful. I don't know. I mean, I'm not the one to say that, but it's 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 fun. I mean, our, I suppose our, our mantra is taste, trust and fun. Okay. And like the little sketches on the back, again, I'm showing them here, but you'll have to go see the YouTube video. I drew them literally on the way to the, the, the shine on it there, so you can't see it, but... <laughs> I drew them on the way to the designer where the two of us were like in the car and he suddenly was driving and I was like, we need a cartoon because I don't want to put my face in it. Um, but it's, it is, it's all, it's all sort of cartoon stuff. It's, I mean, very, I suppose, at the time, Ben and Jerry's Innocent. Innocent yeah. were doing the same sort of stuff. Um, you know, in terms of trust, our recipes are on our website. They're not like, you know, you can go and you can go onto our website, you can download our tomato soup recipe and you can cook it. It'll come out a little bit different because you'll be using a different stock and whatever, but it's there. Like people who are eating soup that they're buying in a supermarket and people who are cooking soup, it's two different markets. Like, you know what I mean? One's feeding a family, one's whatever. The other's heading to the office. The other's, you know, it's the meal for the one person who's going out to hockey that night or soccer or rugby or whatever yeah. it is. Two different occasions. So yeah, so we, but the 400 gram really worked for us. And actually the other little bit of magic that happened for us on launch was our main competitor in Ireland put up their price by about 20 cents, literally the week that we launched. Mm. They didn't know we were launching. And so they went to slightly more expensive to, than us. So we ended up being slightly cheaper for 
what I would say was a, a definitely a much better product. You can back me up in that. Totally. I mean, it was it was a very a very different. It's a very different offering. It's a restaurant style velouté soup. It's made with like real butter, fresh vegetables, fresh herbs. Yeah, it's they're all they're all very smooth. The original ones were totally smooth. We've added a slightly less um, smooth ones sort of over time, but they were like and that was because that was because our cooker in our original we outsource our manufacturing was for making um, it was a mayonnaise blender. So it was for, for, for making mayonnaise. So that just blended the soup really, really fine, which, which we really liked being kind of a um, sort of hotel you kind of brought up and all the rest of it. And um, we didn't realize either that the margins that other people were making off soup were crazy. So we were delighted because you don't make the same margins off pies. You can't. It's just they'd end up costing eight, nine, ten quid. So we were really happy. And we just sort of slightly, you know, um, fell upon ourselves. We ended up with this gorgeous soup that was really premium. People were loving it. And um, it was at a ridiculously affordable price um, at, at 249 at the time, euros. So it's yeah. about two quid sterling. And was this, around, uh, was this around the same time that, that um, Covent Garden would have been growing in, uh, Covent Garden Soup would have been growing in the UK or was that, was, no, already... that's, I'd say when, I'd say that was when New Covent Garden was in its absolute heyday. I'd right. say, I mean, I remember going to the UK and going to see Covent Garden in Sainsbury's where they had like 27 lines and they had like two drops yeah. and you were just, go- and it was, and they had, I actually, re- that was my favorite New Covent Garden packaging actually, is when they had the kind of just the, the whisper of a, of a herb or a vegetable sure. on the white pack. So, but they, they did, I think they did exist a little bit in Dublin, but they were only kind of in the odd shop. They, they never actually came to Ireland, which is really But you're right. Yeah. I mean, they were, they, I think they were um, in, in Super, in Super Quinn Black Rock. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I always remember they'd, when I was in university, they'd be in the fridge and you'd have a big bowl of it, but there'd always be some left, you know. And then yeah. you, it wasn't enough. What was left was not enough for one person, but it wasn't enough for two. There wasn't enough in the pack for two people. And I can remember thinking, why does the person inventing this think that there's enough in this for two people? Because two people need more at a lunchtime than, you know, 300 yeah. grams each. You need, you know, 350, yeah, 400 and grams. Yeah. And I would say, actually, the people need to be slightly more than satisfied to be really happy. Okay. So when they buy our soup and they eat it, there's just 400 grams is a huge portion, actually. Like if you went to a restaurant, you'd never get 400 no. grams of soup. Now, you, if you went to a restaurant, you'd always have soup either as a really snacky or else as a starter. So that's the other reason that you wouldn't, unless they were specifically yeah. doing big bowls of soup for lunch. And so 400 is a, is a lot to eat. So afterwards, you're definitely full. And if you're not full, you don't want any more soup. Do you know what I mean? You exactly. want bread or you want yeah. starch or you want something different. So it's, 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 but the other thing actually is, uh, uh, I know, and I know it's, you had, you've done things on packaging. We're in a, in a PP container, which is very recyclable, but you know, it's, and, um, New Covent Garden and our main competitor in Ireland was in Tetra Pak, which I kind of, I, I don't think they're recyclable in Ireland. I don't know where they are recyclable. I, I kind of, it's always a bit of a funny one. But if they're in three or 400 gram cartons, they look tiny and okay. to the eye and we do eat with our eyes. So, sure. you know, I suppose to people out there wondering, you know, when you are having, when you do have something on a supermarket shelf, it needs to look like it's value. And yeah. the soup really was magic. It looked like value. It tasted really good. It fills you up. I mean, we reckon like, you know, myself and Sally often discuss this, you know, with, you know, there's a scale of getting a product perfect and there's not, it, you know, it's, 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 you know, our, our pies are kind of like 60, 70% and just say 50% is when they repurchase, you know, they're good. They're selling away. People love them. Actually, they've got a long shelf life, which is has benefits and negatives, obviously. Um, 
benefit is you can buy it at the beginning of the week for whenever you really sure. need something. But so as opposed to more the more English system where Marks and Spencer's started, where, you know, really you buy it to consume that night or maybe the following night. Yeah. Um, whereas I think our soups are kind of like 90% and the sales show that. Do you know what I mean? The sales, the, the, the graph just went... But I think, do you know what I think here? Like we're spending an awful lot of time talking about stuff that is, you know, the rational product benefits, you know, the shelf life, the size of the pack. And I think this comes back to understanding your shopper needs and your consumer needs, right? The fact that, you know, you can put your bowl in the microwave and eat out of it if you're in the office or you're at your desk and no one else is around. And and loads of people do that, I think. But just for any of those listeners out there who are in startup brands or scaling brands, Whenever I'm mentoring companies, you know, I'm always surprised at just how little people think this stuff through. And really, you have to get this stuff right. This is the stuff that means yeah. that the, the the consumer experience from purchasing the product all the way through to, you know, whether they can recycle the pack and how they feel in their tummy when they finished it in terms of portion size or or flavours. This or all people matters. Would complain. People would complain and, and we watch it really closely Um that they get indigestion from our mushrooms soup particularly. Not everyone, but a very a few people. And that was like the amount of onion, you know what I mean? Okay. And as a brand, you know, you, we're so, we sell soup now. That's what we do. We do lots of other stuff as well, but our bread and butter is our soup. And like, you know, there's great stories. Like, you know, we stopped making our carrot soup on a Monday because carrots that are sliced on Friday or Saturday and made into soup on Monday are the soup comes out like watery and bitty. Like you need to be making your soup immediately after you chop your carrots. And what we have two places now that manufacture for us. One does it in-house, one does it out of house. But I mean, like, you know, it's, it's a four hour window to go from being chopped to getting to the, to, to, to the, to the kitchen. Yeah. So it's, you know, but like that sort of stuff matters. Mushrooms are the opposite. Mushrooms, it's all about getting them in there for us. That second flush. So the first flush is when they're tight little button. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the third flush is when they're, you know, you think breakfast, you get the big, huge, and that's gone too black. So, you know, you, we're, we're right on that sort of stuff. Do you okay. know what I mean? To making sure that that detail, detail, detail. Is, it's detail and, and getting, so it looks beautiful as well. I had, I had someone, I had someone on recently and, uh, they wanted me to taste their product and I did and I really liked one variety of, of what I was tasting and I wasn't so keen on the other. It was a savoury yeah. snack. And I said to them, you know, the, the savoury snack has a, has a particular savoury vegetable in it. Yeah. And I said, did you choose that savoury vegetable, that particular, the sourcing of that savoury vegetable? And they said, no, 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 mm. that's just what our co-manufacturer served up to us as an option. And I said, okay, yeah. so on your pack, let's let's pretend it's crisps, yeah? And let's pretend it's um, yeah. olives. Yeah, it's an olive crisp. Yeah. Um, you know, olives come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and flavours and flavour profiles. Yeah. It would be really good if you were on top of what you what you want your co-manufacturer to deliver to you. So they come into the room knowing, you know, that you're saying to them, right, the olive has to be a black olive from Puglia and it needs to be this level of salt because you know what your consumer wants. You're not just going to say, oh, they've delivered me a black olive tasting thing. That must be what black olives taste like. It's that level well, of detail. Well, listen, to, listen to this. We were making pea soup and we were making them with bird's eye peas. You know, the little bags you buy in the supermarket, yeah. bird's eye, which we thought were the best peas. And then we went to make the soup and they made use regular peas. And we discovered afterwards that basically bird's eye peas are triple A grade. Right. And again, just for the English listeners out there, you guys have like pea and, and ham soup and it's made with spit peas. It's actually not... It's not sweet green peas like we like here in Ireland. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very different product. So if you can you can get our, our pea soup in Tesco's in the UK, but it's it's made with fresh 
triple A grade peas. Okay. And to get them at a commercial level was a nightmare because you nobody know, wanted them. For the first couple of months, nobody, no, well, no, no, they did want them, but they were for retail. They were so expensive. No, that's but what I meant. I meant, I meant no, no, yeah. ma- no manufacturers were asking yeah. suppliers for triple A grade peas to make soup with. And like, you know, it seems like the most, I mean, that's 90% of your ingredients, or at least 90% of your flavour in a pea and mint soup. Like, obviously you've got water and stock and the rest of it, but in terms of volume, but like it's the pea is the most important thing. And like, it's, we find our pea soup and other really hard to make and it varies massively. And if there's a stop in the line when we're making it, if it's held at all for any amount of time, you know, you lose colour, it goes starchy. It's like, like, so we're, you know, and again, we're watching that all the time. God, that's amazing, the the level of detail. and, and, And and we grade stuff between one and five and one is a pass and five is a pass. But one is like a really disappointing pass, if you like. <laughs> but still, it's, it's good enough to get across the line. I mean, obviously, sometimes you do stuff. If you forgot the salt, it would definitely wouldn't even make one. And then we have five, which is just sometimes you make the soup and everyone just goes, and hell, that's delicious. Like, it's just really, really good. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good for, your, for, the, for the manufacturers to know that, you know, it's not a bottom grade, it's a middle grade that we're aiming for all the time. So the, and it fluctuates, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you're hoping, you know, you'll get three, you're obviously hoping you get five all the time, but you don't, you know what I mean? You get, you get your three 90% of the time and then it just allows you kind of go, oh, something not right about this one, but it's, it's fine, you know what I mean? Send it out to market, but why aren't we totally happy with it? Do you know okay. what I mean? And okay. I mean, carrots again, they come from Ireland for, and they're best for the season. But they don't, you can't, it's not like potatoes, you can't freeze, you can't refrigerate them. So potatoes will be kept in huge, big, massive, sort of acre-wise, acre-sized um, warehouses for the whole, for the whole year. And you know, new season and, and, and new season potatoes, like they're, they're a whole different kettle of fish to your main crop. But onions, or sorry, carrots, you know, on a bad year. So when the weather's really bad in Europe, they might come from Israel for a short while. Right. So we're getting fresh carrots from Israel. And like, we're going to go, why doesn't the soup taste good? And they're the only carrots we can get. We've got to produce our, our, our carrot soup. So we know the soup isn't going to taste as good. And like we were tasting them, not blind, but like we didn't know which one was those five different carrots. We we're tasting the carrots going like, these one tastes, these ones taste like fish. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you maybe imagine, the fertilizer, you know, the fertilizer on the field. I don't know. Or maybe the soil. I don't know. The terroir. Yes. I mean, like, you know, you taste wine and you go like. I bet you oh, seaweed fertilizer on the, seaweed fertilizer on the, on the. Yeah, whatever it is but like you know that it was like in the same way as you taste wine we were tasting fish like you know obviously they taste like carrots first yeah. and foremost they taste tasteless but um so and you know then you have big carrots which don't have such flavor versus small little ones so listen if there's, there's one so takeout for all of this for our yeah. listeners here is you're absolutely passionate about vegetables and about ingredients <laughs> and about knowing every single tiny little variation in your production right but i want to yeah, move you on yeah. If that's okay, okay. right? I was going to just <laughs> say, as, could, a small go biz- as a small business, I think you have to be that. If you're not okay. that, you're not going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Because well, you're not into volume. You know what I mean? That's not yeah. that's by nature. Of well, small. I hope yeah. that everybody listening to this who is a startup or scaling business, if they're not thinking like this already, they're going to go home or they're going to they're going to be at home and go crap. How do I get into this frame of mind? How do I get yeah. into this level of detail? Because it's exactly what you need. It's the control of it all. Don't give it to anyone else to control like your co-manufacturer. You control it. You tell them what you want and make sure they deliver yeah. it to you, right? Right. I want to move Absolutely. you on. So talk me through the different phases. You get to you got to one million. When did you get to five, ten? When did you make the decision to sell the business? How did that yeah. go? Talk me through the, the, the steps, the big steps in big leaps. 
So we're still there anyway. So just for those people who heard about the selling that we're still there and we're still running it. So it's obviously been a good story. Exactly. Um, we, we, well, we had a lot of people sort of ringing us and chatting, talking to us. And, oh, well, so we launched the soup in 2006. We also launched quite a few other things which didn't work. Just good to know for people to know that like not everything worked. We yeah. tried to do pub food and we tried to do all sorts of things. And, um, and then you just decided to focus on the knitting, right? Well, no, we're always trying. You have to try new stuff. You've got to yeah. keep trying new stuff. But, yeah. but, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. And, um, and so I know you've got to keep trying new stuff and you've got to try new markets and you've got to try, you know, you've got to, you've got to be, you can't just become lazy. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so that doesn't work either. But where was my story now? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. So 2004, we launched, six, we launched the soups. And it was around, I remember walking down Grafton Street, Main Street in Dublin with Sol, kind of going around 2008, going, you know, I wonder how many people know us. And it was really it was like, you know, the brand. And now the brand is, I think, probably in every every um, fridge in Ireland at some stage during the year. Um, but it was around 2008, 2009 that we went from being kind of, it felt like nobody knew us. You know, okay. that overnight success story? Yeah. Everyone seemed to know us. Actually, my sister, who, and we're obviously, we don't, we hire, we're one of these people who don't, doesn't really go to supermarkets just like that. Pardon me. Because that's, you've um, just got the, the, the butler bringing you the food in. <laughs> <laughs> my butler was, ah! I'm only joking you. I'm only joking you. I need more water. No, I'm getting all excited now, you see. My sister, who, like myself, hardly went to a supermarket in her life, said, oh yeah, Colin, I just started buying your soups. And I was thinking, well, if one of my family are going to the supermarket and buying our soups, we've made it. That okay. was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it was definitely around 2000. And obviously it was a growing, but soup sales, like our soup sales were more than doubling every year. So 2007, 2008, 2009. I actually, I couldn't tell you in any specific year what our sales were, but like they went from sort of say, it was the first half year or whatever, because September to December, you know, great sales. The second year was probably a million, million and a half. And then they went to sort of 4 million. And then they went to sort of like six or 7 million. And then they went to, you know what I mean? And okay. sort of up like that. So very, very fast. And actually, I think just listening to one of your other podcasts, someone was mentioning about how sometimes you get traction. And I think that's a really, I thought that was a really good word to use actually, because when you're doing marketing, when you're selling a product, whatever, you're looking for traction. And if you see traction somewhere, invest in it do you know what i mean but don't, we wouldn't invest in anything until we see traction you know what i mean like and it's it's interesting we've brought out um a really interesting range of hot of broths at the moment so we've got a, a beef broth we've got a chicken broth we've got a miso soup which mm. is vegan and we've got a vegetarian vegetable soup which is vegan and they're they're a slightly different style they're sort of chunky but they're just not getting traction do you know what okay. i mean people it's all talk but people aren't buying them in and it's really interesting our top selling soups our, our, our tomato and our chicken, which are, you know, I mean, they're not soup. People talk souping high in fat. It drives me demented. Like soup is less high fat than full fat milk. Right. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, we're talking, sorry, high fat soup. So if you take our tomato soup, I think it's um 4% or something like that, or it's less like 3.9. And full fat milk is 4.2, yeah. so it's less. Yeah. Like, you know, so you get more calories probably having a cup of milk for your lunch than you do having a high fat soup. You know it's interesting so, though. Why know, do you think that is? Do you think it's just that the, the Generation Z or the people who are, you know, the, driving that whole broth and, uh, you know, vegan? I'm not saying that only Generation Z are vegan, but do you think just that they're not your buyers, that it's the Irish mammies and the, and the, the, the young professionals who are your buyers? 
I, I, we don't know the answer to that. And they are bought a certain amount, but I, I don't know. And are the people who are sort of into that, are they kind of a lot of talk and not much action? I mean, I don't know. It's you, you hear a lot about vegan, but I mean, loads about vegan. Um, but I maybe in Ireland, it hasn't happened much outside Dublin yet in Cork. I don't know in the major cities, whereas the UK is big enough. I don't know that's even that big in England. Do you know what I mean? I know I, it I is. Mean, I, I mean, well, well, have you got the numbers on it? Yeah. So let me think if I can remember. So, well, uh, 50% of the UK are claiming to be flexitarian now, right? So to try and reduce-itarian. That's reduce-itarian. all yeah. No, no, that's, that's econometrically. No, like, no, no, but it's still all talk. Oh, you like, think that people like are we, claiming we are, it? Well, no, not so much that, but they're just, they're, and they are maybe when they go to a restaurant and everything, whatever. But like we were one of the Irish retailers recently, and I think something like, I think they, they told us the turnover of their vegan section. Now, got to remember, our soup is vegetarian, right? So it's all obviously the chicken one isn't, but so vegan. So, so, you know, it's, it's lots of things are vegan by way of being vegan, not be way, but by way of anything else. Do you know sure. what I mean? Like they're, they're just vegan because they don't have yeah. animal products in them. So, but that whole vegan kind of is in the vegan section where people are doing yeah. it's, I mean, it was sort of tens of thousands of turnover. I okay. mean, do you know what I mean? It was, it yeah. wasn't even hundreds of thousands. It was, it might have been a few hundred thousand in the whole of the country. Okay. And I'd love to know what that is in the vegan section in, in the UK. Tesco UK. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of it's. Well, my it's understanding still... is it's driving serious growth. That's my understanding. But we'll, I'll, I'll go yeah. away and find out and email you. OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. We're, go back to the stages. Sure. Go back to the yeah. stages. So all of a sudden you gained real traction. You're at 10, 12 million. When did you decide uh, how many people were in the business at this stage? So. Basically, until about 2008, we were two, <laughs> plus a person helping us with the accounts. But like, we're talking, we had a local girl from the local village. We had actually three or four people, you know, a mum who, who, who's, who had just had, little, had small kids. And it was sort of like, you know, four hours, two days a week kind yeah. of job. And then about 2008, we employed two people who are still with us today. Um, and big hats off to Reen and Anne, who basically run our business. They're amazing. And... Um, Anna runs the accounts and Rina, uh, for an intensive business purposes, runs, runs everything the else. Business. Yeah, exactly. She's and amazing. And you're able to, to sort of think beyond the horizon. Like she's, she's the ultimate um, eye dotter and tea crosser. And by God, myself and Sully put her to her wits end sometimes. I can imagine. And, you know, really serious <laughs> follow through and all the rest of it. And an absolutely brilliant person. So she's like and the then, perfect um, number two for entrepreneurs, really. She's, she, yeah, 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 she's, she's, yeah, she's, as an entrepreneur, you need a boss. That's basically what you need. Okay. Don't mind this PA and all this and months. You don't, you need a boss. That's amazing advice. Erwin, <laughs> who, who bought our business, was an entrepreneur and he's been kicked out of Haynes Celestial, who are the business that bought us, because he needed a boss, I'd say, is probably, is probably the reality of it. You need someone to say, no, you can't do that. Okay. Um, and I mean, Darina is another example. She's who runs the cookery school. She's mad as a brush, pure entrepreneur, started the cookery school. But she needs someone to say no to her every now and again. And it's kind of hard. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and even trying to organize a meeting can be hard. Um, so tell us about so, the decision so, to sell to Haines Celestial then. How did you get to the point where you decided you wanted to sell the business? So to get to that, to, to get to that, straight to that. So we were, we always said that we wouldn't talk to anybody until 2010. And in 2010, actually, we got an approach from an Irish business to buy our business. And anyway, that fell through. And as that fell through, New Covent Garden, would you believe in the UK, was just bought by an, an American business. And we heard about this. 
So we went, one second, maybe they're interested in us. And our, at that stage, our business was at a crossroads and it was packaged and ready to sell in a way. And so we knew, well, it's a long story, but basically Rina, who'd worked in a previous business with, in Swissco in Ireland making airplane food, had worked for the, New Covent, the people who were running New Covent Garden. So we knew them, so we contacted them and they said, and we said, listen, just on the off chance that they're interested, you know, might let them know that we're packaged. You've got three months if you're interested because otherwise we need to start investing in it. We, we, we really at that stage needed to invest in our own business, in our own packaging, in our own soup line and stuff like that if we were going to continue like that. And to our complete amazement, um, they said, no, we're really interested. And Erwin came over here to this little office, which is in a total mess on that side. So I'm not going to point it out to you, but it's literally <laughs> one table, which is about two meters long and about a meter and a half wide. And it's, it's a three by four room, like it's tiny. And Erwin sat here and paid us... Um, an undisclosed price. You can Google how much you paid for it anyway for it. And we said, that's fantastic. And um, we've worked with them, found them brilliant to work with um, on the whole and um, are still there since 2012. So it was, the whole business was gone in three months, if you like, from that that's, perspective. That's unheard of, isn't it? It's unheard of that a sale goes that smoothly, that well, without sending you all to an early grave. But also unheard of that you can stay in that business and work with the investor for as long as you have. I mean, you know, presumably you and Sully don't have to hang around. You can go and start up something else. But yet you've, you've, you've decided to stay on and run the business. And, you know, every time I ring you, you're at work. So it's not like a, <laughs> a fake thing. So it's a really handy thing that when we're at work, when we're sitting outside, like about to go, just about to go windsurfing, I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> so how, why does that work? Why does it work? And why do you think sometimes for people who stay in a business after they sell it, why does it not work? Um, I'd say this. I mean, I think there's loads of reasons why it doesn't work. Um, I think we're very, very lucky for a few reasons. Number one, we're a little country on the outskirts of Europe, which is quite a small market. Um, so we're, we're small enough that we're kind of not a major concern. Second of all, we've constantly made money since we, um, and hit our budget really since day dot. So, you know, there's never been severe pressure. Um, we're, I think the autonomy though is, is really the big one for us. And, you know, we've, we've got a great team now. There's 10 of us now in the office or 11 of us. Um, we still outsource our production, um, most of it in Ireland. Um, we you know, do all our own product launches. We do all our own marketing. We do all our own. It's all in-house. Um, wow. You know, we, with the UK then, so, so then since, I mean, one of the other reasons that we sold was because we couldn't get into the UK market. And right back at the very beginning of this conversation, we talked about, I talked about the size of England compared with Ireland. And, you know, so Tesco UK is three times the size of the entire Irish market. So for us to go in and launch in a market that's three times bigger than everything that we own first of all you have to get a, a buyer who's willing to back you yeah so you know it's very hard for a buyer in the uk with, like to risk everything they have to invest in a small irish brand who are probably going to give you issues with delivery they're going to give you issues with supply they're going to they're just going to and they're too far away to kind of like drag in do you know what i mean so it's it's and there was an irish buyer went in so god bless her thank you very much paula she listed us and um, it's been a great success story since then. But she also had the collateral that <clears throat> the same company that are behind NCG and actually Yorkshire Pobinger, um were behind us, making sure that we were we were you know what I mean that we they had yeah. someone to talk to and they had they had confidence in us. Do you know what I mean? And that's a massive thing. So so um, so Hayne Celestial. I mean, listeners out there would know um, Hayne Celestial because they also invested in or own which other brands. 
They have Ella's baby food. They Ella's. have Tilda Rice. They actually disposed of that. They're uh, disposed, disclosed, disposed. Yeah. They got rid of it anyway. Um, sold. Just like last year. Sold. <laughs> uh, last year, they have, what are their major? I'm just trying to think what. New I mean, Covent the, Garden. The, the sort of, yeah. And, and, and the other one is Linda McCartney. Linda McCartney. Okay. Um, Brilliant. Vegan food as well. So they've loads of brands in England. Then they've obviously a whole pile of brands, um, Earth's Best and yeah. Terra Chips and Celestial Teas is one actually that we'd really know, you'd, people would kind of know okay. in the States. So they'd be well known kind of and listed. trusted as a serious a serious backer for, for you guys. So w- what year did you go into the UK then? Because for our Irish listeners, you know, who have a scaling brand in Ireland, and obviously the UK is their next market, right? Now, Brexit aside for one minute, because obviously that's a difficult one to know and everyone's, thanks to Board Bia, uh, very well prepared in terms of yeah. their, their <laughs> Brexit strategy because Ireland is really lucky for all our global listeners out there to have the most wonderful yeah. food board who does just fabulous work with Irish industry to prepare them for everything they do. Yeah, absolutely. So what does it take to get into the UK and make a go of the UK? Where, what stage are you at now in the UK? So we got we, we were really lucky. We pretty much went in with full listings of our tomato soup so so i suppose as a, as a product like ours you have we have like 10 or 12 products so you don't get everything listed everywhere to start with and you know that's the next sort of the second stage of growth is getting more listings so i i, we, I think we listed first i think it was 2014 actually i'm not quite sure with four products but pretty much full listings with our that's every supermarket in tesco with our chicken and veg and our tomato and then lesser amount of stores but still a significant amount of stores with our mushroom and we chowder and we pee. I can't remember exactly which ones. I think it was actually pea and mushroom to start with. And then the chowder came in afterwards. And the chowder sells really well over there. Um, and then um, and I think that was then we were with them. We kind of were exclusive with them and totally delighted to be exclusive with them for a few years because you know it was big enough for us to deal with. We didn't know, you know, and something like that, you just don't know how, you know, the reality is that it doesn't just explode overnight, thank God. But you just don't know. So, you know, I mean, we're 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 minded that business, you know, we marketed it, we we do, we've, actually, if you Google, if anyone wants a bit of a laugh, Google like um, maybe Cully and Sully um, Marketing London. I don't know, I don't know where you'd find it or go to our website maybe. But we did all these sort of like crazy campaigns where people had to sing into the microphone and sort of tell them why they love their Cully and Sully soup so much. I mean, these people dressed up as chickens and singing songs and people outside their gate, like giving people tastings of Cully and Sully soup all this sort of absolutely mad stuff. So um, we had great fun with that. And that was kind of, so that got it, that kind of got it over the line and got the rate of sale up where it stayed on shelf because that's your next, that's yeah. your first battle actually. Yeah. And it's back to your million turnover. You have to get enough sales that it's justifying its place on, on the shelf. And then from there, then um, we've, we've actually then recently enough in the last two years, we've gone into maybe three years ago, we went into co-op who um, we have a brilliant relationship with actually, a really good buyer there, Kelly, who just really liked her. She came over here. We run a competition with the schools of GIY, which is Go It Yourself. They're a little bit in England, but they're, we, were, we do a lot of work with schools, a lot of work with food education, it's, you know, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And GIY, um, we did this campaign for a few years and she, we had this competition with schools where they had to make a soup and, and then they had to do a presentation and they had to do the marketing and they yeah. had to do, so they had to make a soup and present it and everything. And Kelly actually came over and judged it with, judged it with us in Waterford. So that was, I mean, fair juice to her. It was brilliant. And so we had a real buyer from a UK supermarket and we had great fun with them. I'm sure the Irish and buyers then, were delighted that you chose a, a UK buyer to 
<laughs> judge the Waterford competition. They, they, they don't know. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Okay. No, she just, she actually just came over. She was meeting us the day before. Okay. And we were saying, listen, that's totally cool. Come over. But listen, we do have to be in Waterford the next day. Um, you can come down if you want. She goes, yeah, I'd love to. And we said, come do you judge so. So it was, it was actually Perfect. happened more by accident than anything so else. So how many stores are you in in the UK now? Oh, Janie Mac, I suppose, um, you know, well, there's 3,000 or more Tesco stores. We're in um, co-op much smaller stores. So there's probably a, a good few hundred of them. We just went into Asda. Wow. Um, so, I mean, with at least one skew, if you like, we must be in well over 5,000 stores. It's amazing. Um, and do you have a UK office or? Well, we we operate through the through the Hain business. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. So, do you have to actually? What do you have to do, you guys, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis in terms of the UK? We do the marketing, right? And we do the manufacturing. Okay, so and they do the supply chain over there and the customer service. Do they, they do all the supply? Yeah, but even if they didn't do the supply chain, they even outsource. You know, like you know, that's yeah. that's it goes through. You know, they, that no, it's just, just interesting it's just, for the Irish listeners. Yeah. you know, because I'm thinking yeah. if they're thinking, well, what does it take for us to launch into the UK and manage that business? Do I need a person to do it, or can it be my Irish team doing it as well as we use? We use yeah. I mean, we use PRM in the UK. I mean, sorry, in the north. Yeah. Um, as our distributors, so they can bring it over to a distribution warehouse there in the UK. And then from there, it goes out to to wherever it needs to go to the central okay. um, distribution centers for the different retailers. Okay. Um, but yeah, you have to have, you know, you know, different shelf life products work differently. So if it's ambient, it's a very different story to if it's a two day shelf life. And then we're in the middle, we're a, a three week shelf life kind of job. So it all, you know, it's a different system, but yeah, you have to have someone there who consolidates and, and distributes for you. That's that's the reality of it. So yeah. when we were preparing this um, on the way in in the car, because we're both so organised, uh, <laughs> I'm speaking for myself anyway, uh, you made a really good point. You said, you know, you don't hear so much about why food businesses don't make it. Why do you think you did make it versus all of those reasons that, that food companies don't make it? I think I think the first thing that I see with, with with food businesses is not controlling their costs. Actually, I think that's just really important. You know what I mean? Ireland is tiny, so it's different. I think it's a very different model in the UK than there is in Ireland. That's the first thing. I think you know in the UK because if you just get into Tesco's with your one little product, you know what I mean? In the UK, and you get so let's say you get you get you get you get fifty percent listings. So you're in fifty percent of of Tesco stores in the UK. At that point, you're in a market that's what did I say? It's three times the size of the, so one and a half times bigger than the entire Irish market. So, you know, at that point from get-go, you probably need an investor. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Or you need access to cash. In Ireland, it's not like that. You know, you need as few people as possible and you need to do an awful lot of running. You need to meet the buyers. You need to know the guys in the shops. Like we knew, we had lists of all the different, like, because we used to do tastings. We did tastings every single Thursday, Friday, Saturday in stores for three years I mean, I never want to do another tasting again in my life. So when you but, say we, um, you mean you and Cully, and you and Sully. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You see, and you knew all that. You knew all the aisle managers and the store managers by name. All by name. We knew the buyer by name. I mean, like knowing your knowing your buyer at head office. I mean, we were kind of a quite an interesting business model in the sense that, you know, we manufacture we sub we we we, we subcontracted the manufacturing, but we did the deal with the supermarket, and that's yeah. really and actually. Really quickly on that, it was a supermarket buyer who really said to us, you know, you should bring out a soup. So that's how valuable 
that yeah. relationship is. And you, you yeah. get information from, um, just notice we've got the caption here. I didn't even notice the caption here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and a pussy cat. Um, so so that's, a, that's, a, that's a, really, a really important relationship. And you learn so much talking to the buyers. Um, and, then, and then obviously knowing the people on the ground because they're the ones who, and we'd, you know, you could use the word influence or whatever, but you know, we'd back in the day, particularly we'd have still today, actually, you know, we'd incentivize buyers to, oh, sorry, aisle, the people on the aisles who are stacking the shelves, we'd run little competitions for them and stuff yeah. like that. And kind of, you know, let them know all reasons to let them know why that Cully and Sully exists and that it's Irish and that it tastes delicious. Try and get them to taste it, like offer them one for their lunch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All the things the you were allowed to do back in the day. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know, it's another, this is another, I bang on about this in the podcast all the time and in workshops I'm giving, you know, which is about understanding your sales on a local level and doing that by going into store and knowing that the aisle manager or the store manager, depending on the size of the store. And people say, oh, but you know, I couldn't do that because I I, I wouldn't want to disturb them. And who am I? And I said, you know, they're really open to talking to you Mm. as long as you get them at the right time, the right moment and in the right way. And in order to do that, you have to know probably know do they uh, stack the shelves on a Thursday yeah. they have a changeover on a Thursday they're going to be really busy don't talk to them then or yeah. get them at 11 and you know and, you've and, just and got to ask there, questions there's never anybody important in a supermarket on a Tuesday it's the day the important people take off do you know what I mean they're always there Thursday, Friday, Saturday that yeah. sort of stuff do you know what I mean yeah um, you have to You have to. Be, and again it's back to level of detail so you need to know your product inside out but you also need to know your customer's workings inside out and, and we, we started this by saying you need to know your consumer inside out. And, and I don't think necessarily all startups realise to what degree you have to be an expert on the detail in all of these different domains. Yeah, and actually you just touched on something you meant, you know, if, you know, you could say we've got two customers, the supermarket and the people, but actually the, the people we are our consumers and the supermarkets are our customers. And actually it was really interesting. Another real like, you know, um, step up for us is because we started in 2004, we were kind of born as a sort of a modern business, if you like, like, you know what I mean? And as social media kicked in, it just totally played in our hands. Because again, a bit like what the model of, I suppose, Innocent or Ben and Jerry's, just to use them again, you know, they marketed at their consumer. They didn't market at their customer. So you, you can incentivize, as I said, your, 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 your customer, but really we were talking to our consumers. And, you know, big businesses didn't do that. They, they, yeah, they sure. you know, it was like, and even, you know, other business, they just give their, they make your manufacturer was in the habit of, of making something that they could make and, yeah. and, and, and then giving it to a, a, a distributor who'd take the cash and, and try and flog it. Do you know what I mean? But not really yeah. knowing a huge amount about it. Alongside whereas, their 200 other things on their catalogue. Yeah. Whereas we went to the consumers and said, what do you want? And they went, oh, we want to, re-. and then, and then back to that word, what was I was saying earlier on is, um, if something traction. sticks it, attraction suddenly something's working, you're going to go, right, let's invest in that. So then you find someone who can make it the way that they want it. So it doesn't, we don't care who manufactures it and you can get it. And then you're bringing to your consumer something that's really, you know, it's valid and that they want and, and hopefully at a price point that, that, that works. So back to why you think that you managed to avoid the pitfalls that other food businesses that don't make it uh, haven't avoided. What else is there? So, so yes, yeah, so, so, the, so the big one is obviously keeping your costs. And I think traction is the other one. And, and I, I think, you know, if it's not working, if after a year, you know, you're still only doing 100,000 euros of sales, you know, really you've got to wonder if there's a business model there at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, sure. you, you've kind of got to back it a certain amount. Do you know what I mean? You've got to believe yeah. in it at the beginning. If you don't believe in it at the beginning, you're, 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 you're into hope. So you've got to believe in it and you've got to give it an opportunity. And that's costly 
because supermarkets will charge you wastage and stuff like that. So there's a kind of a four, six, there's sort of a four, eight, 12 week kind of periods at the very beginning of a new product launch where you're really watching it. And if you're getting a bit of traction, then you can, you can work and you can invest in a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Um, but you can't, like, it's just like, we often looked at taking an investment. We had no investment in our business. And um, we, but every time someone said, listen, can we invest in your business? You know what I mean? We were kind of going, well, one second, if we take a million euros from you, what are we going to spend it on? And we could brilliant never answer that question. question. There was no, That's there was a brilliant nothing, question. We could never answer it. Like, you know what I mean? We're not going to do a marketing campaign because we didn't really believe that our product was at a level where it, you know, put it this way. I mean, I always say to Rena and, and, and the guys, like that is an extraordinary piece of real estate. So if we were You're to market holding up your packaging now for yeah, anyone yeah, who's listening. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, for anyone who's listening. The, um, so, so like, you know, we're doing a thing with, with um, Focus Ireland, who are an Irish charity for um, the homelessness. And, yeah. and actually, a few of them ended up in the UK, so they're probably looking at them with two heads going, What's, who's Focus Ireland? And Focus Ireland, of course, we're delighted to get a bit of... A bit of um, so we've actually taken the lid and we've put a little, cut out a little thing to put a coin into so you can open, take the lid off, eat your uh. soup, and then cut the coin out, and then it's a money box. Like your trocra box growing up, like the trocra exactly. box. Exactly. And, and, but like that's on supermarket shelves in Ireland. That's only on our chicken and veg because because to do with logistics that if we had the same lid for different pots, they'd get confused and then you'd end up with a tomato soup barcode on a chicken and veg thing and stuff like that. So we learned our mistakes. We learned that the hard way once upon a time. But if you buy a chicken and veg soup in Ireland, it'll have a little trocra box style um, cut out in it. And then we said that we'll match it. So if you raise 100 quid in your staff room or whatever, um, we'll then we have to work out exactly how we're going to do it because with COVID, it's a bit more tricky. But you put that just say on a GoFundMe page and then we'll see that it's from X and X school in uh, Dublin and we'll then match it with another 100 quid. And so, you know, that's you know, that's massive real estate for... for um, yeah. So when you talk about marketing, you're already on a shelf. Yeah. And James Averdeek used to always say that to me. You know, he'd always say to me, we spend more money. This is like back in 2006 when I joined from Nestle. Uh, he, he'd say to me, you know, Fee, we spend money, extra money on our packaging. It's more expensive than it should be. Right. But that's yeah. because that's my TV ad. Yeah. yeah. My TV ad is having that beautiful black shiny yeah. pack with <clears throat> extra you know, glisten and, and glow on the shelf because I, I, I can't afford TV. Now, someone said to us, like, I love the cutting teddy pies. You can have them in your fridge and you feel proud of them. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, that was, you know, yeah. and like, you know, that was particularly in the day when you had kind of had a matte set of finish and you couldn't see them. So just for listeners out there, you couldn't see our pies. They were in a closed box and they still are in a closed box. Um, so you can't see the product and you can't really see our soup either. Actually, you can see it at the bottom of the pack. But um, so, so like, you know, they, you need to pick them up. And, and again, we're at the premium end of the market. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and, but, but soup at 2.49 or in the UK, one pound, somewhere between one pound 70 to two pounds, depending on where you buy it. Um, you know, it's not a premium price really, actually. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's no. a, a, I mean, compare that to the price of a sandwich and how much it's healthier is it for your lunch? Completely. Well, I mean, your brand is everyday special, isn't it? That's where it's, that's where it is positioned. Whatever you want it to be, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> but it is, you know, it's 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 yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's not Avonmore or it's not private label soup. It's yeah, it's yeah. you know somebody who wants to eat something every day. That's that's just that 
bit nicer or some people will only eat it twice a week or no and, and, and I think I mean the other part of it that's really important is like myself and Sully are there it's called Colleen Sully Soup you know what I mean that's important um, yeah. maybe that's what's kept us in the job maybe it's nothing to do with us um, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know and then I think you know what's really important is you know the quality ingredients the trust of the whole thing and, and we, we always say like you know what I mean eating is about having a bit of fun I mean there's nothing more crack than having a dinner party and having your friends over and um, drinking too much wine Exactly. And, um, Listen, we do way too much of that. <laughs> don't we all, especially, well, I was about to say, especially during lockdown, but it's just minus the friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. We had our whole office in for a Zoom chat where we had a full meal. We had beef wellington. We had, a, we had pasta to start with. Everyone in the office, so it was 10 houses, all had to make a little tart. So we got, we got um, actually Chef and Ballyblue JR to, he sent us the custard, he sent us the apples and he sent us the, the, the brine baked pastry. So we had Aww. to make that. And then we got another guy to supply us with wine. I mean, we can have, we were, we're still doing dinner parties big time. Oh, we were hammered nice. by the end of the night. <laughs> I say you were. Look, I think we've learned a huge amount. Um, I'm really hoping that everybody out there has, has learned a huge amount from this. I'm certainly incredibly impressed by the, the obsession uh, obsession and passion you have about the detail of what goes into your product and how it tastes. I find that really fascinating, you know, about the carrots being cut on a Friday. You it doesn't work in the soup on the Monday. And I didn't realise why I didn't like uh, UK uh, pea soup in the supermarket. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't realise. Now flavor. I know. It's not an Irish. Yeah. And, and, and then now actually the English, the English gave out that our soup was too sweet. So okay. um, yeah, was, they're not expecting was, it. It's about expectations, it, isn't it? Totally about expectations. Look, yeah. thank you so much, Cully, for all of that. This is a hugely rich <laughs> episode. I think we could have spent an entire, you know, uh, 40 minutes talking about your purpose, the brand and how much good work you do. And we yeah. could have spent another 40 minutes talking about, uh, you know, sustainability and recycling and the difficulty of, of, of that sometimes in terms of trying to find the balance between uh, packaging that works for a product and packaging that exists on the market. Uh, but but we've learned a huge amount so thank you so much for coming on the show Um, would be great to catch up again in the future particularly when you've continued to scale in the UK uh, and maybe doing an episode focused on just particularly on scaling in the UK yeah 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 no totally and maybe if customers are something like because this will be on YouTube I presume if there's comments or whatever I'll try and get up there sometime during the week or whatever and see if there's any questions I'll try and answer them as best I can or something like that that would be amazing that would be amazing. Thank you so Good much stuff. and we'll see you soon. Well done, Fiona. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.